been a certain percentage of this volume of reports that have been made by credible observers of relatively incredible things. Hey world, this is Skinny with Skinny and Bob. We're going to do something a little bit different today. We'll call this a lightning podcast. I wanted to articulate the five observables. For anybody out there that is not familiar with these, these are qualifiers, if you will, used by certainly Lou Alzando and the Pentagon to define kind of your more prosaic UAP, like, I don't know what it is, but it's probably a balloon, versus like, okay, that's something truly extraordinary. So there's five observables, and what it's, what's important to understand is what they are, how they get deployed in context, and why they matter. And I want to articulate all this in five minutes or less. So five observables, five minutes or less, go. First observable, anti-gravity. Seems pretty straightforward, right? There's something in the sky. I don't know what it is. It's obviously flying. Cool. What's interesting with a UAP, or, or perhaps looking at it through the vernacular, the historical vernacular of a UFO, unidentified flying object, is we don't actually know a UAP is flying, right? Flight implies, you know, the, the displacement of air, lift, right? So when you need wings, you need rotors, you need things like that to generate lift, other ways of generating, you know, lift would be through propulsion, right? Like a rocket squirting stuff out the back, the opposite end, it shoots up into the sky, or through temperature gradients, right? Like like a like a hot air balloon. With a UAP, we don't see any of those, you know, characteristics, engineering characteristics that would lead us to understand, like, oh. I don't know what that is, but it has wings, so it's obviously flying. Or, oh, I can see exhaust, so it's some kind of rocket. It doesn't have any of those things. With UAP, they're often just totally featureless shapes that are somehow able to defy the natural effects of Earth's gravity. And we have no explanation as to how. So that's number one, anti-gravity. Number two, hypersonic velocity. Hypersonic means an object or anything traveling at speed that is in excess of supersonic, right? So there's subsonic, there's supersonic, and there's hypersonic. You'll have to forgive me. I don't know the uh, exact speed metrics or stage gates, if you will, off the top of my head. Suffice to say that we have craft, we have objects that can go supersonic. That essentially happened with the um, introduction of the jet engine. You know, and that's where the sound barrier gets broken, et cetera, et cetera. Furthermore, we do have some technology that can reach hypersonic speeds. Um, but not like what we see with UAP. So with the UAP, we will see, so let's say, um, you know, some high-tech U.S. missile can go hypersonic, and let's say that's 7,500 miles an hour. It's really fast. 
What we see with UAP are objects or phenomena that go two, three, four, five, and then some faster than that. So we're talking 20, 30, 40 plus thousand miles an hour. Perfect example would be a 2004 Nimitz incident. There were objects tracked on radar going from 80,000 feet to sea level in less than a second. That is, by definition, hypersonic. We have nothing that could go that fast. So that's number two, hypersonic velocity. Number three is instantaneous acceleration. Think of this as the kind of the kissing cousin to hypersonic, whereas that deals in, you know, hypersonic velocity deals in top end speed. This deals in how quickly does it take to achieve top end speed? Or another way to kind of put that is, is G-forces. So maybe the best way to kind of frame this up is on planet Earth, we can only, our material science capabilities only allows us to engineer aircraft that can withstand a certain number of Gs, right? Because if you go over, let's say, I don't, I don't know the exact metric, but if you go over, let's say, um, 10 Gs, the aircraft will be destroyed. It's just too much force on the material, uh, and the material itself implodes from the, the crushing G-forces, and, you know, the rest is history. And that's certainly true of a human body. So pilots can, you know, organic materials can go even, can, even, can withstand even less G-forces. With UAP, we have observed crafts or objects going 20, 30, 50, hundreds of Gs. That is not possible. Frame of reference, SR-71 Blackbird. Fastest aircraft, at least that I'm aware of, in the U.S. arsenal. For that thing to turn at top speed, it takes roughly the length of Ohio to do that. A UAP could travel five times as fast as the SR-71 and make that same turn on a dime. 90 degrees with no visual implications to the material of said craft. It's extraordinary and impossible. And yet there it is. So that's number three, instantaneous acceleration. Number four, this is probably the most exciting to me and piques my curiosity the most is transmedian travel. So what transmedian travel means is, with respect to UAPs, is we see objects or phenomena that are able to travel without implication to performance between air, water, and space. We have objects, and we've engineered craft that are transmedium, but there's always impacts to performance because of design compromises in order to travel transmedium, like between water and air. So take, take a seaplane. A seaplane is not really a great plane because it's got all that drag needed to, to land on the water, but it's also not a very good boat either, right? It's high off the water. It's not streamlined, etc., etc. With UAP, we see objects traveling with no impact whatsoever to their speed or velocity or maneuverability between different uh, 
medians, you know, without breaking a sweat. So that's number four, transmedian travel. And the last one is known as low observability. So this basically means, for example, we see aircraft, I'm sorry, excuse me, we see craft, UAP, that will be observed on radar, right, using radio waves and on infrared camera, right, through infrared light. And yet a pilot, a la visual light, cannot make visual, can't see it. There's no visual identification. We see that with UAP. It doesn't make any sense. And yet we know it's there because we see it on two sensor inputs, just not the human eye. Multiple examples of that. So those are the five observables. I hope it helps you use them as you look up to the sky.